Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 94, Naples versus Sicily. In the last episode, we saw the move of the papacy from Rome to Avignon, and then the descent of Holy Roman Emperor Henry, which basically ended up in total failure. We did, however, mention that his little adventure had had one effect on the Italian situation, and that was to reignite the hostilities between Naples and Sicily. We had last left the two at the Peace of Caltabellotta in 1302, which had temporarily put an end to the War of the Sicilian Vespers. You will remember that the War of the Vespers started with the Sicilian uprising against the Anjou government and had brought in the Aragonese on the side of the rebels. The Peace of 1302 had divided up the old Kingdom of Sicily, which had included all of southern Italy and the island of Sicily, into two confusing parts. One was all of southern Italy, south of the Papal States, with its capital in Naples, which was called the Kingdom of Sicily, while the other was just the island of Sicily, which was called the Kingdom of Trinacria. For love of simplicity, we'll use the names they eventually came to be known by and call the bit with Naples in it the Kingdom of Naples and the bit with Sicily the Kingdom of Sicily. That's nice and straightforward, I think. Now, all of this went on more or less with the indifference of Europe, which would have been more difficult in centuries past, as Sicily had been the centre of a geopolitical view that saw the Mediterranean as its centre. Now, there were rising powers further north, France and England, for example, that were shifting the focus of interest in that direction. If the known world now cared less about Sicily, well, the Sicilians were more than pleased because they were starting to care less about the rest of the world. Thanks also to the Vespers, an island identity had grown, embodied in the concept of Comunitas Sicilia, an independent island kingdom community, which went through all levels of society. The Sicilian barons, for example, refused to fight outside of the island. They would be happy to defend Sicily and fight each other, but they were not interested in foreign adventures. Their king, on the other hand, saw things very differently, and you could guess this starting from the number he wished to be known by. The gentleman in question was Frederick of Aragon, younger brother of King Peter of Aragon. He could have been known as Frederick I, because he had a brand spanking new little kingdom, if you of course ignored the pre-Roman antiquity. That, however, would mean recognising that he didn't want more, and, believe me, Frederick wanted more. 
The first Frederick of the old Norman kingdom of Sicily had been Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, with the second referring to his emperorship after Frederick Barbarossa, his grandfather. So, as far as Sicily went, our Frederick of Aragon could have been Frederick II. In the end, perhaps to avoid confusion with the great emperor, and perhaps because he aspired to something more, the new king of Sicily was known as Frederick III. So, with the peace of Caltabellotta in 1302, Frederick III of Sicily could get to organising his new kingdom. The starting point was interesting because Sicily already had a rather powerful independent parliament. The one which had decided to elect Frederick as king in the first place. There was all the potential for a modern state that would move ahead not only of the feudal system, but also that of the northern communes that were now transforming into hereditary signorie. One element, however, that did not play into Frederick's plans were the cities of Sicily, which now hoped to have a greater role and independence based on the model of the northern ones. This was not to be, and with the Constitutio Regales, Frederick set up a system in which the barons commanded the areas outside of the cities, but also extended their influence over the lower nobility of the cities themselves that ended up depending on the barons. The issue also extended to the local and foreign components of government, with the Aragonese pushing for a system similar to that of the Cortes in Catalonia, a push resisted by the Sicilian barons, who felt it gave too much power to the cities. In the end, Frederick ended up with an aristocratic feudal state in which the middle classes collaborated with the power structure but were not made a part of it. So much for progress. The king himself, Frederick, would always be looking to extend his kingdom, leaving it to the rule of the barons, who in a short time would start an internal struggle that would then explode once the unifying presence of the king was gone. These struggles, however, started almost immediately on the assignment of the positions of the royal bureaucracy. To give you an example, which you can forget if you want to, or just stick your fingers in your ears for a few minutes, a struggle started between the Ventimiglia family, who held the position of Grand Chamberlain, and the Chiaromante, who were the Justicias of Palermo, on one side, against the Antiochia, who held the post of Grand Chancellor, and the Polizzi, who were the Strategoti of Messina, on the other. The latter, Strategotus, was a judiciary official whose name was an inheritance from the Byzantine period. The struggle between these factions would bubble under the surface of Frederick's reign, only to boil over upon his death. With these considerations in place, let's go back to where we started with the descent of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII. Just a reminder, the kings of Naples and adversaries of the Sicilians in the War of the Vespers had been the Anjou, with Charles I and then the second. 
Now, at the time of the descent of Emperor Henry, we have Robert of Anjou, son of Charles II, as King of Naples, after his father had died in 1309. He had been deposed by the Emperor, but nobody had really cared in the end, including Robert himself. Frederick, for his part, could have played it two ways. In the first scenario, he could have used Robert's momentary difficult situation by using it as an opportunity to strike a lasting peace that would also seal his succession. Remember that under the Peace of Caltabellotta, Sicily was just, let's say, on loan to Frederick and would return to the Anjou upon his death. The other way to go was to throw his lot in with the Emperor and actually take up arms against Robert, which is what he opted for. From the very start, he made quite a few boo-boos. First of all, he set off very enthusiastically without coordinating anything at all with Emperor Henry. Worst of all, he invaded Robert's kingdom in Calabria, another Christian state, without first declaring war, and that would come back to bite him on the bottom. Finally, he tried to kick Robert when he was down, an act which would earn him the man's undying hatred and make the whole Naples versus Sicily affair very personal, with no solution in sight as long as both men lived. Things started well enough for Frederick, but they were over pretty quick. He received a call for help from Henry in Tuscany, got himself and his troops on the fleet, and when they were around Naples, they got news of Henry's death. All they could do was head home to bear the shame of the international community wagging their fingers at him and telling him how naughty he was. It was a terrible moral defeat. The political isolation of Sicily was now even greater than before. No one was going to lend a hand in future endeavours. No one cared about Sicily. But as we said before, this was fine for the Sicilians because they didn't care about anyone else. But it was quite a blow for Frederick. Luckily for him, this did not mean the end of his kingdom. Robert's revenge came very soon, in 1314, but his planned invasion of the island of Sicily was unsuccessful. In the following years, he attempted other strategies, such as harrying the coasts of the island and destroying the crops to try and starve the Sicilians into submission, all to no avail. The hot war cooled down, and by 1326, the two kings could do little more than stare at each other with burning hatred over the Strait of Messina. This, however, did not stop Frederick from getting up to more tomfoolery. In 1320, in a blatant breach of the Peace of Caltabellotta, Frederick associated his son, Peter, to the throne. This very clearly meant that he had not even the slightest intention of handing back Sicily upon his death, as per the agreement. For this breach, the Pope at the time, John XXII, put the island under a 14-year interdict, 
for almost all of the remaining reign of Frederick. There was another chance for Frederick to do some damage, with the descent of yet another would-be Holy Roman Emperor, Louis the Bavarian, who was made King of Germany back in 1314, but didn't come to claim his imperial crown until 1327. He came down like Henry before him, with not much cash, but with the support of the Visconti in Milan, the Della Scala in Verona, and interestingly, the family that had come to dominate the Tuscan city of Lucca, the Castracani. Short digression here, the name Castracani means dog castrator. I'll just leave that there with you. Anyway, this time around, Frederick did just the opposite of what he'd done the previous time, and instead of jumping the gun, he dithered too long and lost his chance. The emperor made off back north without achieving much at all, although he did threaten a few cities to get some cash to cover his expenses, a bit of a sort of imperial mafia job. Now, we could leave the situation there, since we are racing ahead in years. However, we are going to break a little bit with the history of Italy tradition and take a peek ahead. This is in part so we can see how things end up, but also because things are becoming more and more fragmented in Italian history, and I'm not sure when we'll be coming back round this way again. Anyway, Frederick III died in 1336, after reigning for 40 years, leaving the throne to his son Peter II, who trundled along the same lines, with baronial unrest increasing in Sicily, until his death in 1342, after which Robert of Naples also died in 1343. Now that the protagonists of the animosity were out of the picture, peace was more of a possibility. Peter had left an infant son, Louis, in the care of a duke, Giovanni, and Robert had left his reign, believe it or not, to his granddaughter, Joanna. We will definitely be talking more about her in a later episode. Duke Giovanni managed to take advantage of the difficulty that Joanna found herself in and finally do what perhaps should have been done all along and reach a peaceful agreement, in which the status quo was recognised. Sicily remained to the Sicilians and the Kingdom of Naples remained to the Anjou. Unfortunately, both he and the young king died of plague, which threw Sicily into outright civil war. Peace was finally reached in 1372, under King Frederick IV of Sicily, or third, depending on how you're counting it, known as Frederick the Simple and Joanna in Naples. The epilogue to all this, Sicily maintained its precious independence for only 29 years after that. Indeed, Maria, the daughter of Frederick IV, was married to Martin of Aragon, and when he unexpectedly became the King of Aragon and Maria died in 1401, Sicily became a part of the Crown of Aragon, and goodbye, independence.
My apologies for racing through that last part. We will get back to it. I'm just not 100% sure when we will. We have various paths to follow and I'm figuring out which ones to do first and in which order. Hopefully, we'll figure it out before we reach those crossroads. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters. Let me mention the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Anthony G, Selene, Chanel, Chris, David L, Dean V, Elizabeth, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignacio, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, Kevin, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Neville, Patrizia Kappa, Peter W, Rene B, Roberta D, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Scott L, Shelby and Stephen, and the tippy-top level, the Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxime, David A, and of course Sen, who has gone up a level and sort of created her own special level. Then Sen has been with us from the very beginning, and she deserves her own special little category. Thank you very much, Sen. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com and at the same URL you can click through to social media, go to our timelines and lists of rulers and so on and if you're so inclined go to the support page, support on PayPal or become a Patreon supporter and get access to extra content. It's coming a bit slowly in this holiday period but it is coming along. Apologies for that. Frederick, you backstabbing, Aragonese Sicilian puddle of stink. Not so tough now without your emperor buddy now to help you. I'll show you, Robert, you giant turnip-nosed angevin vomit bag. Ha, ha, I urinate downwind from you and your puny itsy-bitsy kingdom. Why, you, you just wait, I'll... You'll what? Float up and down the sea like the brainless rubber ducky bottoms that you are? Right, that's it. Sicilians, charge! Say what now? Charge! To the ships! We must attack Robert! Must we? Yes, of course. He slighted my honour. So? So? I'm your king. Then vote for you. you. You don't vote for kings. Hello. Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you did. Yeah, and the only reason we did was that we didn't want to be ruled by that guy over there. Still, don't you want to expand our kingdom to seek glory and riches? Uh, no, we're fine, thanks. But... I want to conquer stuff. All the other kings are doing it. So, if the other kings jumped off a bridge, would you? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Jumping off bridges and conquering stuff are two totally different things. 
Oh, yeah. It sounded more logical when my mum said it to me. So, can we go now? No. Oh, you guys are boring. Statistics show that a good percentage of people participating in invasions can have nasty side effects, even death. Oh, fiddlesticks. Sentir a media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.